Hey everyone, this is Andrew Hodges, and I'm here with the amazing Karis Blacklock. Say hello, Karis. Hello, everyone. And Cole Sebring. Hello. Is that how you pronounce it? Subring, but Sebring is perfectly fine. Either way works. Okay, Subring. Okay, I've been saying it wrong for a while, Cole, but we're getting our names uh, introduced and everything. Uh, we're so glad you're here with us. We are recording this message a little bit differently than we normally do because we had some technical difficulties at the night of worship. We're actually pretty excited uh, to record it this way. And we are in a series this semester called Hyperlinked, where we're connecting Old Testament passages with fulfillments that Jesus made in the New Testament. And it has been so fruitful and so fun to make these connections. It's hard not to read, to read the New Testament now and not make connections with the Old Testament. And it's making it very, at some, at sometimes a very confusing Old Testament. It can bring it into a clarity and give it richer meaning when Jesus kind of teaches us and gives us a master class on how to read the Old Testament. So today is an excellent example of what we're recording. Today's message is called Linked to the Lifted. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, if you've got your Bible out. Or Numbers chapter 21, and that's kind of where we're going to be hanging out. I don't know about you guys, but I am easily distracted. Whether I'm listening to a sermon in church, that's especially bad for me. Um, or trying to watch a movie, or driving, my mind is bouncing. I don't zone out as much as my attention gets diverted. An example is last year when I rear-ended two people on Martin Luther King Jr. Street, and we are actually on Martin Luther King Jr. Street right now, not on the street, but we're at our CSF campus house, the Reaching the Roar property. Um, so if you hear some traffic outside, we're right by the road. But on this road, uh, one of those times where I had a, a lack of paying attention, I was zooming in and out of traffic, going northbound on Martin Luther King, trying to avoid cars parked in the street, and smashed into the back of this work truck a giant hitch punched a hole in my bumper and then uh, that was if that wasn't bad enough this large construction worker guy who looked like he could uh, dismember me stepped out of his vehicle <laughs> and came toward me and I thought this is when my life ends the campaign is going to end my life is going to end it's all over uh, he takes a look at my bumper. He asked, he asked in this voice, he goes, are you okay? And I said, yep. And then he proceeded to drive off. And uh, no harm was done to his vehicle and my vehicle. It does not matter because it is so old and almost ready for the scrap pile. But I think that's a great example of being attentive and how important it is to be attentive and to keep our eyes up and to keep them lifted. My eyes were everywhere but what was right in front of me. And when we choose to affix our attention uh, during our lives um, on things that do not matter has eternal consequences. So when we see some examples of that is when we see someone who's attractive and we lust after them. When we see we have a difficult exam and we absolutely panic. Right now we're recording this. It's midterm time. We have a lot of anxious students out there. 
Um, and when we see our future, we also we, we worry that when we get to our future, it won't be what we want it to be. Um, we see a disease in our body, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight uh, in the, this message, and we wonder if it will ever improve. We can become so fixated on these things that we lose sight of the most important one in the universe, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if God allows something difficult to happen in your life, this is so hard for me to say even out loud, but he ultimately wants to use that experience to draw you closer than you've ever been before. So tonight we have one phrase for you and we want you to get it down. It is eyes off the snakes. You two say it. Eyes Eyes off the snakes. Wait, eyes on the savior. Eyes, eyes on the savior. Oh, you wanted us to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fill in I the blank. Let's response. try it again. It's okay. We can, we're working on this. This is a <laughs> it's a sanctification process. Eyes off the snakes. Eyes, eyes on, on the, the savior. Hey, oh, there we go. Okay, now Cole's going to read the first part of our scripture, uh, John chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen in the English Standard Version. All right. So it reads, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so this is our first link. Our, our, again, our, our semester theme has been hyperlinked, making links, making connections between Old Testament passages and New Testament passages. Here, link number one is the lifted Savior. So Jesus here in this scripture, he's speaking to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a super fascinating character in the Gospels. He was a Pharisee, which was a religious sect, a religious group of people, kind of a party, if we want to use that term, would help us in the United States with where political parties are very common. But think of that as a Pharisee. They had their own beliefs, their specific belief system about um, um, uh, Judaism. And then he was also a member of the 71-member Sanhedrin, which was the executive court of the Jewish law and the Jewish system. So he was a very important man, and his name literally means victory of the people. And Jesus has just shown, shown him how to attain true victory by being born again, of the water and of the spirit. That was verses three through five in John chapter three. And here we see him in in chapter three, verses 14 and 15 of John. We see him uh, like some of us. He's he's trying to decide if we're going to swim in frigid Lake Michigan. Those of us who have attempted to do that, even in the middle of July, when it's the warmest it can be in Michigan, it is freezing. And so I think that's kind of what that's kind of what Nicodemus is doing. He's sticking his toe in the water, deciding if he's going to to actually follow Jesus. If if Jesus is really the Messiah, and if he's a different kind of Messiah than they were expecting uh, him to be, he was wanting to just check that out. So he came to him at, at night. So Jesus, what he does is he makes an allusion to Numbers chapter twenty-one, verses four through nine, which we're going to cover in a second, and as Moses. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up that serpent, uh, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And we're going to cover that in just a second. I think it's, it's significant that Jesus uses the word must. This wasn't an optional thing. Uh, you know, maybe, might be lifted up, 
must be lifted up. This is the priority of why Jesus came as a human, as the God-man, was to be lifted up. But here, let's focus on the fact that Jesus did say this. He, he said he must be lifted up. There's five lifted up statements in the Gospel of John. You've got two here in John 3.14. Then you've got one in 8.28. Then you've got two in 12.32 and 34. And all five of these, these lifted up statements, they point to Jesus going toward the cross before he even gets to the cross. So this was not a Scantron decision for Jesus where he has multiple decisions that he gets circle in. I'm getting weird flashbacks of the Scantron of circling, you know, coloring in that little circle. Uh, hated that, actually. Tell me but, about but, it. <laughs> tell me about it. This was not a Scantron decision for Jesus. There was only one answer for the sins of us all, and it was to go to the cross. And so the third lifted up statement in the Gospel of John that I just mentioned reads like this John 12:32 it reads like this and I Jesus says when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself and I imagine Nicodemus at this point with wide eyes trying to process what Jesus has just said in John 7:45 through 52 we can see that the holy spirit continues to work on Nicodemus. And I think that that's very important for us to remember. In John 3, he's coming to him at night, and he's, he's tiptoeing in. He's just seeing about Jesus. And then we see a little bit of a glimmer of what's going on in his heart in John 7, um, because he actually speaks up uh, to, in Jesus' defense to his, um, his fellow Sanhedrin members, and they think he's lost his mind. They say, are you too from Galilee, they said to him. So Nicodemus has started the process of getting his eyes off the snakes and on the, the Savior. Savior. There you go. Let's go. So at this point, uh, Karis is going to share her story of what's been going on in her life recently and, and what God has been teaching her in the midst of it. All right. Hello, everyone. This is my first time on a podcast. I'm really excited. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So anyway, so my story begins at the beginning of January. I was in church because it was a Sunday, just happened to be New Year's Day. So I had had some coffee to keep myself awake so I'm not falling asleep during church because I had stayed up for New Year's Eve and everything. And so I wasn't, I was feeling a little jittery like coffee makes you feel sometimes. And I started to not feel very well, and I started shaking and sweating a lot. And so it turns out I have heart problems, and so they got me taken care of that day. But I had to see a cardiologist and a primary care doctor. And so everyone said, well, it's probably a virus. You should be done with it. Like, no more than two weeks. We've seen this in a lot of people your age. And so I brushed it off and thought, well, that's pretty cool. Like crazy heart problems but it's only going to be two weeks like that's pretty rare and I didn't feel like it was going to last two weeks though and it lasted a lot longer actually <laughs> and so after a few months of dealing with this and just doing different medical tests and seeing cardiologists and electrophysiologists they didn't really figure out exactly what I had but they had a clue 
And so after months of dealing with this, it was really hard because it would give me a lot of chest pain. So I would be in bed all day and miss classes and things like that. And it was just hard to do day in and day out. And so it broke down like my own strength and got me to where like I had to rely on Jesus or I just wouldn't make it. And so when my comfort was taken away like that, it exposed my own weakness. And not only that, but it also exposes either the strength or the weakness of our faith. And so what comes of these desperate moments when we don't have enough strength of our own to work off of is where do you look? Do you look to your friends or to social media influencers or um, food or whatever you use to fill that desire of your heart? Or do you look to Jesus when you feel so broken? And so kind of in the same way as Nicodemus, when he was doubting the true authority of Jesus as the Messiah, I was doubting God's goodness because I know God is good. Everyone says God is good all the time, all the time God is good. (laughs) And so I knew he's for sure good sometimes, but is he good all the time, even when it looks really bad? And so it felt like God had kind of betrayed me because he had been good to me in some parts of my life, but at this point it didn't look very like he had loved me or like he was blessing me. And so I begged him and I remember I was on the floor of my dorm crying because I was like, I was just like, God, I can't do this anymore. And so I begged him to take the heart problems from me. And in that moment when I was talking to God, he always answers and it's usually not an answer we want. And so he didn't say, oh, you're healed. You're good to go. He told me in this very gentle whisper, my grace is sufficient for you and I'm not going to take this from you. And so that filled me with a little bit of bitterness just from not being relieved of the burden. But then over time, it took me a long time to get to this conclusion, but the more that I suffered with my health, the more it drew me into him. And so over time, and this small seed of distrust in his goodness being good all the time, It slowly pulled me in day by day, even when I wasn't directly looking at him. And so even when we don't look to him, his love just relentlessly pulls us in and pulls us in. And so after a while, things weren't better, but I was learning to live with heart problems a little better. And so over the summer, I got a heart procedure done to hopefully fix the issue which I didn't think it would get fixed because then I wouldn't have a dire need to rely on Jesus for Mm -hmm. that aspect of my health. And so I was like, well, it probably won't get fixed, but I'll try and we'll see how it goes. And so I was very scared and nervous about the surgery as you should be. Um, But on the other side, nothing got fixed and I'm the same as I was before and so after a while um it kind of led me to feel like he had abandoned me a little bit just because I felt like I was dealing with this on my own but over the summer he also brought me to this verse in 2nd Corinthians 12 7 it says a thorn was given me in a flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Um, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so that verse brought me a lot of encouragement during that time, just knowing that I'm not the only one going through this, because Paul lived the same thing out very clearly. And it just shows how much, like, the weaker that we get, the more strength we can have from God. And so as my health continues to get worse and worse, I get to experience this love and strength that God provides me with every day. And so when he constantly tells us to look to me, we're looking to him not just for salvation, but also for strength and for endurance to get through all the hard trials of this life. So then I'll also be reading Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9. That's right. Okay. From Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Right. Thank you so much. So this is link number two. The numbers passage is link number two, the lifted serpent. And of all the passages in the entire Old Testament for Jesus, I mean, Jesus has a ton of content. In our Bibles, we mentioned this before, like 75 to 80% or something of our entire Bible is the Old Testament, which is insane to think about. And so of all the connections for Jesus to look at in the Old Testament and to drag into this interaction with Nicodemus to teach him what it was like to look to him for salvation, this is what he, this is what he goes for. And I, it just blowing my mind. Um, but he thought this would best illustrate his crucifixion and drawing all of us to salvation. And this was it. Complaining about food, which leads to deadly venomous snake bites. Wow. <laughs> and so there, uh, this is just food for thought. You guys can do some research on your own, but they have done a ton of archeological evidence, uh, discoveries for this passage. In 1969, there's a gentleman, uh, Rothenberg, who spent uh, over two decades um, excavating this specific area at Timna, and in 1969, he came across an entire treasure trove of copper items, one of which was a 
five inch long copper snake. So you can look, look into that. But the bottom line is that the Israelites were dissatisfied with God's provision. And have you ever, listener, have you ever been there where you were dissatisfied with God's provision for your life? This wasn't the first time they had complained about the wilderness grub hub God had been providing in the form of manna. They had complained before. Oh, the, oh, the food we had in Egypt. But this would, even though this was not the first time, it would be the last time because venomous snake bites have that effect on people, apparently. So the three Hebrew notes here in Numbers 21 are the word worthless. The specific word used for worthless here only appears one time in the Old Testament. It is the term uh, that can also be translated as blasphemous. And then also, uh, they, you know, this worthless manna. And I know, Karis, in our, our preparation for this message, you had mentioned that too about God gives us the manna. He gives us what we need, and we're like, ah, I want something else other than the manna. I want you to take this, this thing from me. Why am I having to endure this and eat this? Um, I think Bible Project calls it uh, the the bread sky goo or whatever they called the the manna. Uh, they were dissatisfied with it, and so in the second the second Hebrew note is the word fiery. The word fiery in the Hebrew is a lot of people believe that that's uh, showing the inflammation from the snake bites. And also, uh, the third term is the bronze snake. And copper may be a better translation, especially from Rothenberg's excavating uh, archaeological evidence that he uncovered with the copper snake, because bronze is just a, a copper alloy. And so much debate has been made about why this copper serpent, let's call it a copper serpent, for now, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second, why the copper serpent was chosen to be the antidote for the Israelites healing. Uh, it wasn't snake repellent. The looking to the, the, the copper snake was not a snake repellent. It didn't make the snakes go away. <laughs> it just made the snakes, after the snake would bite you, it could save you from the, the venom in the snake. And that, that was the... the the purpose of it. But I, I think that my favorite uh, explanation of as to why the, the copper snake was chosen is that copper would have had a red hue to it. When you, when you hold it up, it would have a red image to it, a, a red hue, and that would have activated an atonement by blood imagery in the minds of the Israelites who knew all about atonement by blood with the establishment of the tabernacle and everything that was going on with that. So the snake in the Garden of Eden will not have the last laugh over these people. Salvation was possible. And hey, salvation is still possible today. So eyes off the snakes. Eyes on the Savior. There you go. All right. Now right now, Cole is going to share his story with us as we continue on. All right, hello everyone. Um, so for those of you who are listening and don't know me very well, um, I am blessed beyond what I could even imagine. Uh, so I was born with a stage four urinary reflux and hydronephrosis. 
Uh, so basically what that means is the fluid that would build up in my bladder, it would do so in a way that it would get sucked back up and into my kidneys, which would cause some pretty bad damage. And that damage ended up being so great that I was born five weeks premature and I had surgery within 24 hours of being born. So, and throughout my childhood, I would have appointments at, actually right down the road a little bit here at Riley quite frequently just to ensure that the damage wasn't getting any worse. And it led to multiple procedures, a couple of overnight stays, and then eventually by the time I was around five or six years old, we were starting to see improvements. Uh, ultrasounds began showing less pockets of fluids in my kidneys and I wasn't refluxing as much. And, but during those, um, yeah, and during those first five or six years, uh, the blessings that God gave to me and my family were revealed in amazing ways. Um, so I was born in North Carolina, and at the time that I was born, my dad was uh, just getting out of the military and starting to look for a job. And the Lord brought us to Lafayette, Indiana, which is about an hour away from Riley. Um, and Riley, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Riley is regularly voted as one of the best pediatric urology hospitals in the entire country. And my urologist, while he was still practicing, um, was one of the best in the world at what he did. Um, I remember there were a couple of occasions where uh, we would get phone calls from, um, from the, the urology office basically saying, hey, we need to reschedule your appointment because your doctor will not even be in the country because he's teaching doctors in other countries how to do procedures that will eventually need to be done on your son. Um, and so, and, and then I remember one particular moment, um, my dad and I were in one of the rooms with my urologist. Uh, my dad was paying more attention to me at the time because of course I was five years old or so. So, and my attention span was not great then probably still isn't as good now, but, uh, but during that conversation, uh, the urologist told my dad something that would prove to be one of the biggest blessings that we would have, um, so what he said was, out of all of my patients, there's only one who has had stage four reflux and has not needed a kidney transplant. And my dad laughed at that a little bit. And I think as a joke, just kind of asked him like, who would that be? Hmm. And my doctor pointed over at me and he said, it's your son playing on the ground right over there. Uh, so suffice it to say, throughout all of these medical issues, uh, the Lord has shown me and my family countless blessings. Uh, but I didn't always see them as such. Like I just said, I saw them more as issues than I did as blessings for sure. Because um, when I was younger and having to go through, or going to all of these appointments and having to do a bunch of things to try and keep my kidneys healthy, I would find myself asking, why is this happening to me of all people? And why do I have to deal with all of this? And what good will possibly come out of this situation? Uh, so I, just like the Israelites in Numbers chapter 21, uh, began to complain about my circumstances, and I chose to see the blessings that God had placed in my life as kind of worthless or not enough. So instead of looking at God's provision and all the good things that he's done, I chose to complain and become afraid at times, and I even doubted if the Lord was really looking out for me. And it led me to be bitter sometimes. Uh, I was choosing to look at myself instead of looking at the one who's in control of it all. Uh, but as I got older, and I heard all the stories from my dad, because of course he was paying more attention <laughs> than I was, um, but as I was hearing all those stories that I'd forgotten about over the years, um, I'd st I started to see blessing after blessing after blessing. Mm -hmm. And I've been convicted countless times, um, both or all at church, 
um, in normal conversation and even listening to discussions this semester while leading a life group. Um, and all of it has just shown me the importance of relying on God. Uh, focusing on our personal issues can sometimes stunt our growth as Christians. But when we focus on Jesus, the one who was lifted up, the one who's in control of it all things, uh, oh my word, the one who is in control of all things, uh, we will not only experience spiritual growth, but be able to find peace that surpasses all understanding and find a firm foundation in Christ. And then, um, so now that we are through with that, I'm going to read John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, which read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Thank you. Okay, so our final link, link three, the lifted saints. So we have the lifted uh, Savior at the beginning, then we have the lifted serpent, the copper serpent in the wilderness, and now we have the lifted saints. So we've established that salvation is possible from our deadly, venomous, snakebite sin problem. Say that ten times fast, Cole. Karis, I'm just kidding. Um, But... Salvation is possible from our deadly venomous snake bite problem by the blood of the lifted up Savior. The copper, the red, the sacrifice for you and me. Now we have to answer the question, when does this salvation activate? How can I get my hands on so great a salvation? And that is a fantastic question. I'm really glad you asked that question. Or I guess I did. But I'll let, you, I'll let you decide, there's a lot of debate here about this particular section, whether this section is a quote from Jesus, or if John is just commenting on what Jesus has just said. Neither way, it's inspired by God. But I do have to say that my Bible downstairs here at the campus house, it has red letters. So, there you go. I don't think that's case closed, but that's just, I'm just saying. <laughs> But God, who was seeing where we were at in our broken condition, he was so gracious that he took the first step. He sent his son to die for our sins. See, we were doomed to perish. Like John 3.16 says, we were sitting in darkness, as Jesus continues. But Jesus has given us the opportunity to step with him by his blood into the light. That's one of the things I love about this upstairs in the campus house. There's so many big windows. Even on a cloudy day like today, the sun is pouring in. We don't even have to have a light on because there's so much light. That's what happens when we can step into the light by his blood. See, Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night, like we said earlier, and our Savior, what he was doing was beckoning Nicodemus to come join him in the daytime. Go ahead and risk everything with the Sanhedrin, everything with the Pharisees. Risk it all and lose your career and sabotage everything like that. And in turn, you can gain everything. 
at the same time. And so we're going to come back to Nicodemus in a second. But the language of verses 18 through 21 is super harsh, um, which many of our churches today, we kind of steer away from harsh language because it, it makes people very uncomfortable. But it's in the Bible. And you can see why 3.16 has become the most popular verse in the entire Bible. But I think 18 through 21 is so important because we need to know the consequences that are out there for rejecting Jesus as our master and as our savior. We will perish. We will be judged apart from believing in him. So darkness now will lead to darkness for all eternity. Light now will lead to light for all of eternity in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so when we were going through this message prep, Cole, he had this great illustration. And so there is no neutral when it comes to Jesus. You have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis said you've got to call him a liar, a lunatic, or you, gotta, or you can call him Lord. And so we have to make a decision with Jesus. What are we going to do? And Cole was saying when he was growing up with his family, uh, you know, little kids, you run in, you run out, you run in, you run out in the middle of the summer. It's blazing hot outside. And the parents are thinking too logically at that point, And it's like the air conditioning is escaping into the outside atmosphere. We want to keep it inside the house so that we can keep those costs down. So they, they would say, in or out, in or out. And then it would, it would kind of shorten into a shorthand of door, right? And I think that that's, the, that's what we need to really think of with Jesus. We have to decide whether we're in or out. You know, like Kara said earlier, and Cole said as well, we have a big decision to make with Jesus because life right now, before Jesus returns and sets everything right, is chaotic. It's, it's, hurt, it's painful. It's hard. And I have a, this is the perfect illustration for this. We, uh, the church I used to serve at, there was a, a man who had grown up a Quaker uh, and his son and their whole family did. And so when they started coming to our church in the 80s, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, his son had made a shocking uh, statement. He said, hey, uh, Dad, I, uh, I, I'm going to get baptized. And his dad's like, oh, oh, OK, because, um, you know, Quakers, they don't do baptism or communion. Uh, oh, okay, you're going to get baptized. Um, all right. So he's kind of wrapping his mind around that. And then the son said, hey, uh, his son is 13, and he's uh, older than 13. <laughs> he said, I, I think you should get baptized with me. And, and you know, the man was like, I, I don't know about that. That, that. That's great for you to make that decision, but I'm not sure that, that I need to make that decision. And the son said something to him that just just struck him all the way down to the, the depths of who he was. He said, Dad, what do you have to lose? Now think about that. If we reject Jesus, we have everything to lose. If we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we go all in to respond in faith. We have everything to gain by doing that. So the three things to remember from tonight's message are, number one, Jesus loves you. 
He was not lifted up for his own benefit. Jesus did not. Did he, <laughs> he actually, it was the opposite with all the torture that he went through on the cross and being here and living and, and lowering himself and becoming obedient to death on the cross. He gave up everything. He gave up everything, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit, for our salvation. So Jesus loves you, number one. Number two, you have messed up your life. Um, all of us have messed up our lives with our sin. And the gleaming hue of red from the, the copper in the snake, <laughs> that is the blood of Jesus, that is our hope. We look to the sun. And the third thing to remember uh, today is that belief in Jesus, it lifts. You cannot lift yourself out of this mess that we've created. We just can't. It's impossible on our own. We can't make it through. That's why when Karis read, my grace is sufficient to you. My power is perfected in weakness. That is just on the money. And I immediately think of an old hymn, uh, in an old hymnal from when I was a kid. Love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Are we ready to sing it? I didn't even know when we did it. In oh, okay. Worship, so. Yeah, it goes, <laughs> love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. Um, and it ends with, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. And that's what, that's the gospel, that love lifted us. So Nicodemus, his story isn't, doesn't end in chapter 3. It doesn't end in chapter 7. It goes all the way to the end of John's gospel on purpose to get our attention in a shocking finale when Jesus, who is condemned by the very Sanhedrin that Nicodemus is a part of, uh, there is a shocking finale in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. After Jesus is crucified, there are two men that come forward to ensure that Jesus got a proper burial. Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb Jesus was laid in, and Nicodemus is there. They're the ones that take Jesus' bloodied body off the cross. Nicodemus was the one who the Bible says that he purchased a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight. Oh my goodness. What an investment. What a bold move. In the middle of the day, on the day that all the Passover lambs were being slain for the sins of Israel, this lamb had been slain on the cross and Nicodemus He's ready to come all the way out of the darkness into the light. He doesn't care who sees the fact that he has now aligned himself with the Messiah. He stepped into the light. His deeds were exposed. Belief had come to the surface. So the question is tonight, how about you? How about all of us? What is keeping us from stepping into the light with Nicodemus? So let's close in prayer and we'll, we'll be done. 
God, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your salvation that comes by faith placed in the one who was lifted up for the sins of us all. Father, until Jesus returns, would you sustain us by your hand? You have not promised us an easy life, but you have promised us a life uh, that is worth it. That at the end of our lives, we will have absolutely no regrets because we've been walking with you, the forgiving, loving Savior of the world. Father, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. We hope to see you at the next night of worship, November 13th. Uh, the students that are going to be sharing, two freshmen, Matt Danielson and Alyssa Earl. So I hope hey. you can join us at 7 o'clock uh, for the next night of worship. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Cole. Thanks, Karis. Thank you. Yep, thank you. See you guys soon. <laughs>